0: Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is our second lesson for the day, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He did this when he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world so that we would be, we would be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. He did this in accordance with the good purpose of his will and for the praise of his glorious grace, which he has graciously given us in the one he loves. In him, we also have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in keeping with the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will in keeping with his good purpose, which he planned in Christ. This was to be carried out when the time had fully come in order to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have also obtained an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in keeping with the purpose of his will. He did this so that his glory would be praised as a result of us who were the first to hope in Christ. In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and in him, when you also believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession, so that his glory would be praised. This is the word of our Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if after hearing these verses read, you said to yourself something like, wow, that's some pretty heavy-duty doctrine there, or man, that's deep. You wouldn't be it alone. It is some big, heavy, and deep stuff Paul's talking about here. And since Paul is writing to a congregation that he spent about three years with, teaching and training, it's not surprising that he would be talking about such things. These believers were no longer infants in their faith, but had graduated to solid food. But you know what's interesting from those 12 verses of doctrine? They're not really written in doctrine. Paul's not setting out to say, "Okay, now I'm going to teach you about predestination. No, what Paul wrote here was a hymn of praise in which he wanted to include the Ephesians and all who would ever read these words. He wasn't writing in teaching mode. Instead, he was in his breathless too excited to slow down praise mode. In the original Greek, these 12 verses, around 200 words, are all in one sentence. Once someone who knows God's grace, as Paul did, gets going praising God for all his riches, it's hard to slow down or take a breath. It's just that exciting and that wonderful. So much for doctrine being dull, dry, and dreary. The reality is that not only can joy and passion go together with the deeper doctrines of our faith, but in fact, they cannot be separated. This is good stuff, and like Paul, Christians are moved to praise God for his glorious grace when they learn, remember, and think about it. Now, another interesting thing about these verses is that they are the opening words of this letter of Paul's to the believers in and around Ephesus. This isn't something he has built up to, but something he wants to place in front of the Ephesians at the very beginning of his letter. He wants God's grace to be uppermost in their thoughts as he discusses all the other things he needs to write to them about. And he will keep coming back to God's grace and love in Christ throughout the letter emphasizing that not only is God's grace the only thing responsible for our salvation, but also the only thing that drives and enables our sanctification, our Christ-inspired, Holy Spirit-powered efforts to live as the Christians that God has made us. And so for us to understand and appreciate what the Holy Spirit, writing through Paul, is saying here, we need to know and take to heart The fact of God's grace. Let's start by reviewing just what grace is. It is God's undeserved love for undeserving sinners. It is a gift from Him, not an obligation. And it's a quality in God, not a quantity that He supplies more to some people than to others. As we read on through the book of Ephesians, we see that they would have a deep appreciation of this undeserved love God gave to and showered on them in Christ. They, like all of us, had once been dead in their transgressions and sins, following the ways of the world, gratifying the desires of their sinful natures, and wanting nothing whatsoever to do with the body and righteous God who created them. They were dead in their sins meaning that there was nothing they could do to change their situation. No more than a corpse can decide to roll over and sit up. They were without hope in the world. And in that state of sin, they did things that many of us have also seen and done. See how many of these things you can relate to in your life. They added to the debt and offense of their sins before God by giving themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of iniquity and continued lust for more. They embraced falsehood and let their anger rule them, filling their hearts with bitterness and rage and their minds with slander and malice. They stole because it was easier than work. They let unwholesome talk come out of their mouths and they cut others down. Among them were sexual immorality, all kinds of impurity, obscenity, greed, and drunkenness. Their marriages and relationships were characterized more by pride and selfishness than by love and respect. In other words, the Ephesians knew before they knew and believed in Christ, or just like we were before we knew and believed in Christ, dead, damned, and self-destructive sinners. And there was nothing they could do to change things. No works they could perform to change themselves or God's judgment of them. No decisions they could make to bring themselves closer to Christ. No changes they could make to make themselves more acceptable to the God who declares, be perfect for I am perfect which is why the message of God's grace in Christ was, is, and will always be, such wonderful good news. We don't deserve anything from God but his wrath and punishment. But he freely and generously gives us his love instead. That, dear friends, is grace. And that undeserved love, God's grace, can't be separated from or talked about apart from Jesus Christ and his work. Because the crowning of God's glorious grace is the salvation Christ won for us on the cross. And also because we can't know God's love apart from knowing and trusting in Christ. Just look at all the places in our text that Paul, talking about the riches of God's grace says, in Christ and in him. The fact of God's grace can't be known without knowing Christ. It was he whom God sent, his only and one and only son, to earth to live as one of us, to live subject to his own law so that he could fill it, fulfill it on our behalf, since all we could do was break it. It was he who willingly, by his own choice, suffered and submitted to death, even the most horrific death on the cross, pouring out his lifeblood to pay for our sins and endure the pains of punishment that we deserved so that we could be free of our sins and guilt. And it was Christ who rose from the dead on Easter morning, dealing a death blow to death itself and sealing our salvation, guaranteeing for all who trust in him that they too will rise from death and live forever with him. That, dear friends, is the fact of God's grace in Christ. It was God's good pleasure to do all these things, and he did them for us out of love, his deep, amazing, and undeserved love for us undeserving sinners. A gift so wonderful and so divine is not going to be poor or limited either. It's not just about one thing, it's about and behind everything in Christian faith and life. That's why Paul here speaks of the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. What are these riches? Well, let's just list them as Paul mentions them in his hymn of praise. God has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's no gift or blessing he's holding back. He has blessed us all with them all. Then he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. The image of God that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned in ours again because he determined already in eternity that he would be his, we would be his, be holy, and be perfect. In love, he predestined us to be adopters as his sons through Jesus Christ. It's no accident that we have been made God's beloved children through faith, by grace, and it's certainly not because we had anything to do with it. He chose and adopted us. That's another thing. And then... He has redeemed us, paid the price, and bought us back from our bondage to sin through Christ's blood. Next, he has forgiven our sins, all of them. Not one sin left out. Not one offense remains. No debt still outstanding. He has taken away all our sins. Then, he has made known to us the mystery of his plan of salvation. He has told us He willed to save us. He told us how he would save us through the sacrifice of his son, and he did it. And even more, he brought all things and heaven and earth in and under Christ our Lord and King that he might rule them for our benefit. Then we are assured that he chose and predestined us according to his plan and his will because he wants us to exist. For the praise of his glory, he wants us and will have us loving, worshiping, and being with him. Next, he has included us, all believers, in Christ through the word of truth, through the good news of our salvation, the gospel, which he gives us through the means of his grace, his word, and his sacraments. And finally, Having believed the angel, we were set apart, marked, sealed, guaranteed. He placed the Holy Spirit on us, the down payment guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven until the final day of redemption when Christ returns to take those who belong to him home to heaven. That's quite a list, isn't it? It's incredible to think that this is for all of us, for you and me, for all believers. But this was all God's good pleasure in Christ, that these are riches of his grace, amazing, incredible, wonderful grace, and it's all for us. Knowing and believing this, we can't help but do what Paul did. We can't help but thank and worship our loving God and Savior. Praise God for his glorious grace. And that's where we stop today. There's no point in trying to explain things that we are beyond one's understanding. Yes, when we start to talk about election and predestination, there are some questions we want to ask. But God does not answer them all. And where he is silent, we are wise to be silent as well. And that's not just election and predestination that are beyond our understanding. No, the whole mystery and miracle or salvation is beyond our understanding. It just doesn't make sense that God loves us. It's not reasonable that he sent his son to save us. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to human reason, but we don't have to understand it. We don't have to be able to explain it in detail. There'll be time enough for all that in heaven when our minds are no longer polluted, corrupted, or limited by sin. Instead, we follow Paul's example here. We take God's grace in Christ, the riches of his grace, his glorious grace, and we trust him. We believe him. We thank him. We love him back. And we praise him. We praise him. That's what we he chose, predestined, redeemed, saved, forgave, created, and planned us for. It was God's good pleasure for us in Christ. We are to the praise of his glorious grace. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.